I'm Tavis Smiley, and uh, we are in our third and final hour today, and it's going to be a good one. On the B side of this hour, celebrating Phyllis Wheatley, America's first published black poet, 250 years later, we'll be joined by University of Wisconsin-Madison professor Brigitte Fielder for an ode to Phyllis Wheatley on uh, the back side of this hour. We commenced this hour, though, with Danny Mullen, owner of the only black and woman-owned bookstore in Chicago. She joins us now to explain her mission to provide access to and build interest in books for minority communities. She also has a fall reading list that we'll get to a little bit later in this conversation. I look forward to that. Danny Mullen, good to have you on Tavis Smiley. How are you today? I am excellent. How are you doing? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well. I'm delighted to be in dialogue <laughs> with you. Yeah, I'm delighted to be in dialogue with you. Let me start with this. Um, tell me your story. I'm always fascinated uh, by the stories of black folk in particular who at some point in their lives fell in love with books. Tell me your story of falling in love <laughs> with books. Absolutely. Um, I came up, we came up very uh poor. <laughs> mm. So we did not have a lot of books in our home, but my mom did a great job of taking us to the library and kind of cultivating that love for books. Um, so as I got a little older, I, I always say that books saved my life. They mm. let me know that um, there are people out here who are beyond the places where I currently exist, yep. you know, and, and it was a reminder that we can live any life we'd like to live. We just have to create it. And and not knowing that, it's, it's easy to stay in one place. But luckily, I was able to branch out after college and everything and, and keep that love. So when the chance presented, presented itself in 2019, I was like, I'm opening a bookstore. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> mm. We will get to the bookstore in a moment here. Tell me more, though, about how books saved your life. Well, I think that. We only know, especially as we're growing up in those teenage years and whatnot, we only know what's happening around us. So mm-hmm. when we have a lot of negativity happening around us all of the time, we think that's all there is because it's all we can see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would read books and escape from that and realize that people were living lives and doing jobs that I'd never considered. Like they were car sales people and they had a whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, even if they, even if they worked at, you know, customer service centers, it's a reminder that everybody has a full story. And when I would read books and learn that it told me that I could create my full story as well. I could pursue things. I was the first in my family to go to college and all of those things. And it came from a love of reading and reading about characters who who went to college and and cooked and owned their homes. And that those were things that we had not experienced in my family previously. Tell me more. I'm I'm fascinated by your um, your invocation of the the notion of of reading as escapism. And it is Um, Mm -hmm. certainly uh, certainly in in, in fiction form. Um, Tell me tell me more uh, about your view. As it relates to the value, I'm, I'm, I think that's the word I want, the value yes. of escapism in reading for black folk in particular, especially at a moment such as this, if that makes sense. Oh, honey. <laughs> so, so I always feel like, like, like reading is invaluable. There, there's, no, there's no number, there's no scale that we can apply for the need to get out of the real things that are happening Mm. right now. 
we have no, there's no other form of escapism. You turn on the news, you get on social media to scroll. There are movies about what's happening. There's no escaping the real world until you hop into a book. I always say that nonfiction is going to give you the statistics, but if you want to build empathy, if you want to learn about life, it has to be a fiction book. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's imperative to, to read fiction and to read other people's stories to recognize that one, you're not the only person that's ever gone through what you're going through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And two, you're not, you're always able to get out of what you're going through, if yeah. that makes sense. Why no. do you think books are always being in prison? No, no, that's that's a powerful point. Um, mm-hmm. let, let, let's explore that a bit more. Tell, tell me about your, your view of, on, on books in prison. Well, we um, partner with multiple organizations in the Chicago area and beyond um, to send books to people who are currently incarcerated. But I find that we get so many books returned from even self-help books. We get so many books returned saying that title is not allowed for whatever reason, or prisoners are only allowed to have one or two books in their cell at any given point. And it, it makes you think, because if this was a a concept that expects to renew and revive and make people better, why wouldn't books be allowed in? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I promise I'm going to give you about 45 seconds to think about it. Well, I'll give you a couple minutes to think about it. Let me just do this now. Ask this question okay. now, and we'll we'll continue on the other side. Um, so I am fascinated by your telling of the story of books that were returned to your bookstore that you all sent uh, into prisons for, for incarcerated brothers and sisters to read, and these books get returned to you. Uh, and to your point, they return for a variety of reasons. Um, this title isn't approved for prisoners to read, et cetera, et cetera. I am curious. I want to hear when we come forward uh, about one or two books that sort of came back to you that you that you were that you're still scratching your head about why that particular or those particular books were returned, uh, and 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 your inability to sort of figure out why they wouldn't want a prisoner to read this particular text. I'm fascinated to hear the answer to that question. And I've got more questions and she's got more answers. We're talking with uh, Danny Mullen, owner of Semicolon Bookstore in Chicago, the only black and woman-owned bookstore in the Windy City. You're listening to Danny Mullen right now on Tavis Smile. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. We talk uh, ad uh, infinitum, ad nauseum, uh, uh, Danny Mullen on this program, and for that matter across the country, uh, other programs about the banning of books um, in schools in this country, about schools that don't want to teach the truth, um, about the attacks on CRT. We, we, we know that story well. It's a story that continues uh, unabated and one that we need to continue to tackle as often as we can. Uh, that's books in, uh, in, in schools. Um, I was fascinated, though, by your point a moment ago that there have been books that you sent to prison uh, to prisons, mm-hmm. uh, giving prisons a chance to have books in their cells and to read books uh, because reading is fundamental. Uh, and, and oftentimes those books are returned. I, I, I ask you, uh, and now I, I'll yield the microphone to you, um, to tell me one or two books that were returned to you that you're still sort of scratching your head about why they wouldn't want a prisoner to read a book yes. titled, take it away, Danny. Uh, All About Love by Bell Hooks. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Um, also, We Real Cool about Black Men and Emotions uh, by Bell Hooks. Why do you not want people to tap into the idea that love uh, is powerful and mm. is changing and can uh, positively affect not just yourself, but your surroundings? Um, the power of now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eckhart Tolle, like, mm-hmm. there, there is nothing wrong or, or incorrect about these books. In fact, they, they encourage the reader to change themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's always, it's, it's definitely a head-scratcher when we get those books back. You, now, there are some yeah. that we, we like to push the limit, but those are not, not the <laughs> That's because you're black, and you love pushing limits like every black person does. Uh, I'm, I'm mad at you about that. But when, when, when you marinate when you, when you marinate on those books being returned and why they might have been returned, um, have, you, have, you, have you come up with any, any, any thoughts about why they wouldn't want prisoners to read about love I, I and, and self-help and self-determination? I think it's quite obvious. When you, when you give the person the power, when you say this is not, um, the system doesn't have the power to change you or anything like that, but this book does. And when you put that power in a person's hands directly, like you do when you hand a person a book, I think if you're afraid, of what will come of that, of the positive that will come of that, you have to ensure that it doesn't occur. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I take that. Um, let me, since I went there, let me just ask your take right quick and I'll move forward here. Um, your take on the banning of books writ large in this country. We were just talking specifically about prisoners <laughs> not being allowed to read yeah. certain texts, but as the owner of a, as the owner of a bookstore, uh, and you may, you may be the first bookstore owner that I've asked this question to. I've talked to many other people uh, about the banning uh-huh. of books, but as a bookstore owner, how, how do you process that? Um, it, it makes me no, never mind. As a black bookstore owner, at one point, about 80% of our inventory has been banned. We don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. You're not, you can't ban us in our literature and what I choose to distribute in my space. And so that is not even for me to consider. I think it's a ridiculous idea. There are plenty of, of titles that I wouldn't read and don't think should exist, but it doesn't mean that it should be banned. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So tell me about your bookstore. I, I'm working my way towards your watching my time here, working my way toward the reading list, your fall reading list for yeah. us uh, in a moment here. But tell me, tell me, just take a moment, uh, brag about the bookstore. Uh, and uh, I, I know that there have been, <laughs> I know that there have been some, there's been some changes and iterations and moving toward a nonprofit status. So just tell me the story of the bookstore. Yeah. Well, you know, when we began, I thought that I I didn't know that we were only the third um, black woman-owned bookstore to exist in Illinois. I mm-hmm. never knew that, um, ever. And so that was interesting. But I found that as more people came in, I realized that there was an expectation of me to do or say or stand for something. And I realized that my personal politics played heavily. My, my life story plays heavily into how I choose to run my space. And so we're not a normal bookstore. Every book that we sell means that we can give two away. And that's what we do. We mm. have a program where we give books away to CPS students because a lot of times um, homes that do not have books, it's not for lack of want. It's for lack of accessibility. Books are expensive. They're still considered a luxury item. Mm. So we try to bridge that gap. Um, as effectively as possible by giving books away to the families who need them. Mm-hmm. 
Tell you about your nonprofit status. I, I, I was reading some stuff prepping for our conversation yes. about the way you've uh, sort of moved into a nonprofit role. I mean, I love what you just said a moment mm-hmm. ago. I know the audience loves it as well, that when you buy one book from Semicolon Bookstore, um, two are given away, uh, oftentimes to CPS. Yep. And by CPS, we mean Chicago Public Schools. Uh, Chicago these a- Public these acronyms are so, we, we use these acronyms all the time, Chicago Public, yes. school, uh, public <laughs> school students. But, 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 but tell me about the, the, the way you, you manage and run and, and, and the frame that the bookstore is in now given the uh, the nonprofit status the nonprofit status yeah. yeah i think we were we were doing the work before but we could not get help for doing the, the work so mm-hmm. all of the book giveaways were coming out of pocket for me which is fine i'm grateful to have mm-hmm. put myself in a financial position where we could afford um to to hand books out and not uh worry about it but as we get larger and we scale larger i think we should be giving more away and i think there should be help for us to do that and that was the point for us moving to a nonprofit model mm-hmm. somebody some organization out there can help us to give these books away and make sure that these students do have shelves um, full of books in their home that they can go to at any point when they need a mental health reset or, or a momentary escape. And so that was the point of us moving to that model. Yep. So you actually see books uh, uh, having the capacity to, uh, to, uh, to be mental health resets? Absolutely. I have I have given this talk at the um, American Public Health Association conference. Mm-hmm. It was a great time. I don't know um, how some people live their lives in a way where you don't need an escape, um, but good for them. I personally <laughs> need an escape from time to time, and a book is the best way to do that. Whether I want something that's going to make me feel happy, whether I want something that's going to make me think deeply, there is a book for everything, and it has been proven that when you read, it is a form of meditation that slows your mind down and resets. Uh, your emotional state. And I think that's a huge deal. I was in conversation literally just yesterday uh, with some people about a particular uh, African-American, trying to not call his name, (laughs) but a particular Uh (laughs) African-American who is, who is quite wealthy. Let's put it that way. Very, very wealthy in the, in the, in the, uh, in the business arena. Uh, And if I Uh called his name, everybody would know who I was talking about. We were talking specifically about him um, and then the conversation expanded to talk about others who are in business and some black business owners have a philosophy of doing good and doing well simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Others have a philosophy. It's about enriching themselves and getting to billion mm-hmm. and, and getting to billionaire status. And uh-huh. I'm like Mary J and Jay-Z. I ain't knocking no hustle. Um, but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, uh, every black entrepreneur, um, is not the same. Again, some have a program or programs where they are all about making money and giving back and others don't feel that particular responsibility. You obviously Mm -hmm. are in the category of of, of black black entrepreneur um, who wants to help, uh, who wants to be. We, we, yeah, want to be. There's the quote that says, give me the the quote, we are each other's magnitude and bond. Mm -hmm. That's right. We all we got. Yep. (laughs) However you want to put it, Mm it's up to us to do the work necessary to ensure that we're okay yeah. at all times. And I fully believe that. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you said that. I, 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 want, I was only, I was, what I was pressing toward was how, uh, given, given that we all don't process this, this, this reality the same, um, how you uh, created this mindset, how you found yourself in this mindset of doing exactly what you do and not just enriching yourself. Um, 
it, it, it's how we came up. We did not, I, my two siblings and my mom, we, you know, lived in shelters often, and it would be the four of us uh, sharing a room. And I remember there would be moments where I, I could clearly see my future of being able to take care of myself effectively, and I knew exactly what I was going to do when I had any excess. If you give me an excess $5, I'm going to give it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it being in the position and growing up in that position is a constant reminder that sometimes there's nothing you can do to change your financial state. It's out of your control. Uh, maybe a parent lost a job. Maybe mm-hmm. you're in a domestic violence situation. There are a ton of reasons why you your situation may be out of your control. And we don't have to care what people do with the money or the access when we hand it to them. We just have to make sure that we've done the right thing by helping in whatever way that we can. Yep. I've watched a ton of people ignore, you know, ignore my family's uh, needs for the longest, which is why we were in a shelter, and I, I just vowed not to be that person. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, now you got me really fascinated. I'm watching my time because I ain't got to the book list yet, and I got to get to it right quick. Um, but oh, when, yeah. when you say your family lived in a number of shelters, um, at this point mm-hmm. in your life, given how you how how um, abundantly blessed you have been, mm-hmm. and obviously you're blessing mm-hmm. others, what what are, what are some of the? What, give me a couple of quick takeaways from what what you hold on to all these years later from having lived in shelters. Um, anytime I have a roof over my head of any sort, mm-hmm. even if it's inside of a shelter, I am grateful. Mm-hmm. I am grateful. I, I am blessed in a way that allows my family to experience life, um, as they have not experienced it before and likely never thought they would. And so anytime I have a chance to take the whole family on vacation, we're going to do that. anytime I have to to celebrate and my siblings and I always say we ain't supposed to be here everything Mm -hmm. is a win (laughs) nope I love it and so it just it, it, it makes me have a good time. Life is short. Have a good time. Yeah, we ain't supposed to be here. Everything is a win. We ain't supposed to be here. Everything is a win. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All yeah. right, we got five minutes left here. Five minutes. I want to run through uh, these uh, these uh, these books on your on your fall yeah. suggested reading list in the five minutes that we have. So uh, I'll let you uh, shout out the titles and tell me in a sentence or two why you recommend that we consider reading this particular book. So right. take it away. I'm gonna keep it. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. So one of my favorites, When We Were Birds, um, Ayana Bongo. She is a Trinidadian author. She is the truth. This is a non-romantic romance novel. I hate romance personally, (laughs) but I love this novel. It gave some introduction into Trinidadian culture. It gave some introduction into Rastafarian culture, and it brought these people together in a way that is beautiful. Um, Next, Howard Child, Latoya Watkins short stories, short stories that represent um, black life. Each story is going to be something that you can connect with why the character made the decision that they may have made. Um, and then next, all of these sunken souls. It's a black horror anthology. It is spooky season. Some people love <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> you know, if you love Halloween and if you want to read some scary stories written by black people, which there are not enough of, this anthology has them in there, all these sunken souls. Um, Bear Coon, Zora Neale Hurston, mm-hmm. the queen of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Bear Coon is the story, of, is basically the story of the last black slave and, and how that, 
process went, and Zornel Hurston, she is the only one who has ever been able to do what she does and use familiar language and colloquialism to tell the story effectively. Um, Invisible Man, Ralph Ellison, that is a year over year, as many times as possible, read that book if you want to understand what your Black experience is, Mm -hmm. what's happening, and how you're not the only person who feels that way. Um, And then I threw a fiction on there, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. He is a beast of a storyteller. Uh, You're going to get some laughs. You're going to get some real-life situations in that novel, and it is great to explore. Before I close our conversation where I could have uh, commenced this conversation, let me just run through that list again right quick uh, for those mm-hmm. who, who can't write as fast as uh, Danny talks. Um, <laughs> the first book on this was uh, When We Were Birds by Ayanna Lloyd mm-hmm. Banwell. When We Were Birds was the first book. The second book she referenced or recommended is called Holler Child, Latoya Watkins, Holler Child. The third book um, is called All These Sunken Souls. It's a black horror anthology. All These Sunken Souls. Sounds like something uh, 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 the film, what's the filmmaker I'm thinking of? That does this? Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele. Yeah, sounds like something Jordan he Peele would recommend. He has a black horror anthology out right now, too. Oh, he, oh, he does. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. He does. Okay, good. All yeah. right. So the, the next book uh, is Barracoon uh, by Zora Neale Hurston, and she's right. She's the queen of everything. Uh, hard, mm-hmm. to not, hard to not be in love with Zora Neale Hurston's writing, uh, and uh, it's called Barracoon. Uh, of course, the classic Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, and I'm glad you put that on the list because there are some books I find myself reading perennially. I just read yeah. them and reread them. And there's some books I read literally like once a year. I just come back to it. And there's something in that book, something about that book that just inspires me, pushes me, motivates me uh, uh, perennially. Uh, and so um, it, it, it's it's hard to see any uh, book list uh, of suggested readings, particularly for African-Americans that don't have some classics right. on it. And her classic on right. this list is Invisible Man by Ralph Felson. And then the book by right. James McBride, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. Heaven and Earth mm-hmm. Grocery Store by James McBride. Those are the books that Danny Mullen suggests uh, that you uh, that you uh, consider uh, putting on your fall reading list. Now, I want to close our conversation where I could have be uh, I could have begun, begun this conversation, and that is why you named your bookstore as you did. The name of it fascinates me. Tell me why. <laughs> um, I suffer from depression. A lot of it comes from trauma, and and when it comes to depression, a semicolon is a a a grammatical use that let that's a reminder that you can stop and start again mm-hmm. is where a sentence could stop but chooses to keep going and for me it's a constant reminder to keep moving through and that's what my bookstore represents represented for me when I opened it it represents for so many people life can begin again and keep going at any point what a great reason uh, to name your bookstore semicolon bookstore. Uh, I get it. I love it. Uh, I, I hate asking questions and, and you find uh, that the answer reveals there was nothing unique about why or how it got named. Oh, yeah. I or you meet, <laughs> or you, meet, you meet black folk and I ain't going to get started because uh, I ain't got time who name their kids all kind of crazy things. Uh, and there's nothing, there's no, there's no meaning behind it. Every black child ought to have a name that has meaning. Everything you do in life ought to have meaning. Uh, and so semicolon bookstore has meaning, and now you understand the meaning behind it. Danny Mullen, congratulations. All the best. Thank you for your work and witness and giving out all these books to um, uh, Chicago public, stu- uh, public school students and others. Uh, you're doing a great work. You're doing righteous work. Heavy lifting. The Lord's work, as we say, and I thank you for it. 
Andy, thank you. All the best to you.